Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. What's the first brand you remember making an impact on you as a young girl? Nike. That that amazing campaign, If You Let Me Play, uh, which was something I had never seen before. And, you know, I, I played sports growing up and I was really inspired by that concept. And well before then, you know, back to those iconic print ads that they had, I would rip them out, put them on my wall. And, you know, that was the first time I realized the power of storytelling through genius copywriting. And that is something I, to this day, think about is inspiring with words. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO Podcast is Dana Marino, the Chief Marketing Officer of Rakuten, the leading shopping platform that gives cash back and offers deals and rewards in-store and online. Get these numbers. 3,500 retailers are on the platform, 17 million members, 10% member growth in 2022. Rakuten Americas is part of the larger Rakuten Group based in Tokyo. Last year, Rakuten aired their first ever Super Bowl ad with Ted Lasso star Hannah Waddingham. They are back in Super Bowl 2023 with a brand new concept, which we will talk a lot about. My guest Dana has been CMO at Rakuten for two and a half years. She studied English and politics at Duke University and then spent the majority of her professional life, 15 years, at Electronic Arts, the video game creator with popular games such as, you know, Madden 23, FIFA 23, The Sims 4, and Dead Space. This is my super conversation with Super Bowl advertiser, Dana Marino. Dana, welcome to the CMO Podcast. You are my first recording of the new year, and my holidays were outstanding. I would like to know, how were yours? Well, Happy New Year. I'm very pleased to be your very first guest this year. Lucky me. Um, my holidays were an adventure. Uh, my son got the flu. So that of happened. We, we were going to go on a trip skiing. We had to cancel that. And then, of course, because of the Southwest airplane debacle, all of our flights got canceled. Uh, and then I got a flat tire when we decided to drive to Los Angeles. So we had all kinds of family adventure, but we did end up 
of course, having good family fun. We went to Disneyland, highly recommend the new Star Wars area. Pretty amazing. Pretty fun. Resilient. You pivoted. Yeah, exactly. We had to change course. We were going to go skiing. Now we're going to Disneyland. We're going to fly. We had to drive. All the above. So tell me this. How do you feel Southwest has handled that little hiccup in their unbelievably positive brand equity? Uh, they do have amazing brand equity. And I, I do think they will recover. It's just going to take them a minute to, they have to say, we made a mistake. Mm -hmm. They have to say, we have an old legacy system. We're sorry. We're going to upgrade it. We've caused all sorts of damage to everyone who's missed their flights and unable to get where they need. A lot of baggage loss. They, they just have to own it. So, yeah. uh, you know, I did, I myself received a couple emails um, about, you know, they're sorry and what a mess up and they're going to make right for everything. And indeed, I got a full refund on my flight. So I think they are doing their best, but this is hard to recover from. And so I think this is one of those moments for a brand where you just, you have to acknowledge and say out loud, we have made a mistake. We are sorry. And here's how we're going to fix it. Can't be defensive. You just have to own it. They have to respond as Southwest, the brand would respond, right? Yeah. Because they, which they, should be their uh, brand voice is yeah. funny. Yep, that's right. And um, self deprecating, yep. right? The flight attendants always get up there, and yep. it, which I love, right? And this is why you love Southwest. So you have to believe and hope that they will come forward after, you know, they have to scramble for a week or so and figure it out and come out with a, a message to say, we messed up. We know it. We're sorry. We're going to yeah. fix it. Yeah. So how were the holidays for Rakuten? You had a very cute campaign, by the way. <laughs> Santa Claus. Yeah, yeah, modern Santa Claus. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Terrific. Yeah. You know, the holidays were pretty amazing. Um, you know, I think you may know the story that, you know, we make a, almost 40% of our yearly revenue in those five days. That's Cyber Five, which includes Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Mm -hmm. It's pretty, pretty remarkable. Um, and so we had an extraordinary holiday. Thank you for asking. We're very excited about it. We're ready for the new year, ready to tackle it again. But really good holidays, really good um, sales. Um, people are shopping and we feel good yeah. about that despite, um, you know, the fears of a looming recession and inflation. People still have to buy things. People are still giving things. Um, and, you know, with Rakuten, our hope is that you realize when you shop with Rakuten, you are saving money. Mm -hmm. Saving money should feel good. And we want to help people feel good about their shopping. So when you shop with Rakuten, you always get cash back on every purchase. Any New Year's resolutions? Are you a New Year's resolution kind of person? I am a New Year's resolution kind of person. In fact, just last night at dinner. Make it public. Yeah. Just last night at dinner, uh, my I have two sons. One is 10, one is 12. And my husband, we did our New Year's resolutions just last night. Um, I said that I wanted to attempt to cook more often. Oh. I Yeah, I'm not a great cook. They must have been happy about that. They did. My husband was very pleased about this because, you know, he always says that, you know, when we were dating, I, w I would cook all the time and have these magical My things. And then the suddenly, <laughs> right? Suddenly when we were yeah. married and have kids, suddenly I don't have time for that. So I have vowed to try to cook more often and not and not do takeout quite as often. Everyone had to do a resolution. That was mine. Dana, you have been the CMO at Rakuten about two and a half years after a great run at Electronic Arts for 15 years and two and a half years or so at Credit Karma. So I'd like to start there. Why in the early days of the pandemic did you decide to leave Credit Karma and jump to Rakuten, new team, new category, new company at a time when it was not easy to start a new job? You are right about that. Um, you know, I'll, I'll answer the first part, which is, you know, 15 years at EA, amazing. And I would say brand marketing. And, you know, if you spend any time at, with EA Sports and that brand and those brands, I really, I grew up in what I would call brand marketing and storytelling. 
And then, you know, I did go to Credit Karma for a couple of years. And that was simply because I did not know and understand and was not smart enough in the other side of marketing and growth marketing, performance marketing, understanding, I'll use the word science of marketing. Mm -hmm. um, and I knew and that if I wanted to be a CMO, which I did, I would have to get dangerous enough in both sides, born and bred brand storyteller have to get smart enough. And that's, so that's why I went to Credit Karma, which is a pretty small startup at the time. And, you know, when you go to a startup, you want to do one of two things. You want to sell the company or you want to take it public. Sure. Right. And so the, the answer is uh, nearly three years later, we sold the company mm -hmm. to Intuit. Yep. And which is why, and that is the moment when I left, we had done the things we needed to do with that brand. But Rakuten came a calling and what an extraordinary opportunity, right? So you have a brand that has just been re was Ebates, so mm -hmm. twenty plus years legacy Ebates, which is a you know coupons and discount brand, and then this large Japanese company Rakuten. No one's ever heard of Rakuten yeah. in the U.S. By the way, yeah. right? Comes and acquires it, and so right when I arrive, it is they've renamed from Ebates to Rakuten. Um, and what an opportunity, what right? Fun. What an amazing moment. Exactly. What fun to come and say, we're going to take this brand Ebates. Um, we're going to, we're going to rename it and we're going to evolve. We're going to elevate. We're going to transform. Why wouldn't I want to do that? It's incredible. Plus we had the name brand of Rakuten in Asia and how enormous that is, mm -hmm. um, to help us, right? With resourcing. Um, I will say, um, life changing moment. Uh, to build and design a team over Zoom um, because uh, that is not something, I, it's not something I would recommend. It's, it's hard. What did you lean into to do that well? Um, talent. So I, you realize that when you hire the most talented people, uh, they want to be together. And so I called up you know, many a friend from my uh, agency days, right? So I have worked with the best of the best from Wyden and Kennedy to BBDO to, you know, Pereira Odell to Goodby mm -hmm. Silverstein to Heat. I mean, you name it. I've, yeah. I've worked with them. And, you know, agencies in some shapes have had a hard time retaining their best talent. And when you talk to them about the opportunity of going in-house, going client side, and many of them had never done that before, and that's kind of a fun adventure. Um, and you talk about what we can do, the magic of a rebrand, the magic of a rebuild, creating what we hope to create for Recton. Everyone gets excited about that opportunity. So I did um, gather a bunch of folks from my old life, some copywriters, some art directors, some strategists, some producers, and said, let's go do this thing. And All over Zoom, all over Zoom. <laughs> all over yeah. Zoom. Well, we're going to get into that in a minute, but I do want to go back to something you said a minute ago. You had some sort of revelation or awakening that you needed to build your muscle in performance marketing, mm -hmm. having grown up in EA, which is great at storytelling, as you say. Yeah. What happens? How did that occur to you? Because that's a pretty big thing. You decided that and you jumped companies, right? So I would say, let's call it 2012 ish, 2012, 2013. Um, all of a sudden, the way forward with marketing was no longer only television and print ads, right? When I got to EA, we sold a physical product that you put on mm -hmm. a shelf, yeah. right? Yeah. And the only way to truly advertise was television and print ads. So fast forward to, you know, 2010 to 13, the internet 
starts becoming a thing. And this thing called Facebook, you can advertise on and you can do search marketing, right? And so we started to hire some experts in those things. And I, it was not in my DNA. So I could listen and I could learn and I could try to understand, but it wasn't in my DNA. And I knew over, it probably took me you know, maybe 18 months of listening to the, at the time, you know, performance marketers talking about the optimization on Facebook, talking about SEO, words that I had heard, but not truly understood how to do myself. So there was this moment, I think, you know, that I just thought, I'm not going to be able to be a CMO if I'm not, and I'll say the word, dangerous enough in that side mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, of the world. And I, I don't actually like when people call it art science or yeah, brand versus performance. I, I don't, I don't think that's right. The way I talk about it when, you know, when asked is meaningful and measurable. Yeah. So campaigns, creative, anything you do has to be both meaningful, like inspirational storytelling, and you have to be able to measure its impact. I don't like when people pit it against each other, or, you know, brand people, performance people, and there's a healthy tension. Sure. But I think the magic is when it works together. Absolutely. So I had to get smarter at that. I'm actually writing a big, I'm, re- I'm writing a big story with a couple of colleagues on that topic to be published this spring in a major, major periodical. Love it's it. kind of a long form piece of content about performance and brand marketing and what the issue is and what we think a solution is. I am happy to help you with that because I talk about it all the time because I just, I don't think it's an either or. The magic happens when you have both and you have experts in both. No, I, I, I totally agree. Okay, let's go back to 2020 again. You came in and I think these are your words. You quickly surmised that this brand needed a fundamental overhaul. So you really did a soup to nuts rethinking of that brand. As you you t- started to bring in external talent, build out an in-house agency, et cetera, et cetera. But I'd like you to go back to that time when you were early in the company. Okay. How did you come to this conclusion with such conviction that you needed to basically change everything? And then what happened in those 15 months or so before you went public with this new brand? <laughs> Ebates had a really incredible brand in the U.S., incredibly loyal members. So you start with something great, which is there is there is a business and you get coupons and you get discounts mm-hmm. and you get cash back on everything you buy. And Ebates built an incredible brand. Yep. And one, by the way, that I am, we all should be very proud of, 15 million members. I mean, really incredible. The issue that you see with Ebates, though, it was a very specific target and audience. And I would call them um, moms, coupon cutters, you know, something like that. Yep. That's not, those aren't perfect words, but a very specific DNA to that Ebates brand, even in the name of the company Ebate, right? You think of rebate, you think mm-hmm. of coupon. And so it's just that now a very large Japanese company comes and acquires Ebates. And what comes with that is, you know, we're going to rebrand and rename, and now you're going to be Rakuten Ebates people, right? One issue, an interesting part of this, no one had ever heard of Rakuten in the U.S. So there's that in itself is a brand awareness issue, which is no one's ever heard of this company, right? So you have all these people, 15 million people who love Ebates. All of a sudden, this thing I love is changing names. What is that? Right. So that in itself is just kind of a fascinating Mm -hmm. issue and problem to tackle. So you have to make decisions about how you're going to grow this brand in the U.S., 
Um, and, you know, when you look at the brand awareness, by the way, of Rakuten in Asia, it's like 97%, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so Rakuten is now the name, but the visual identity, the brand voice and personality was of Ebates. And it required what I would call an elevation, a sophistication to match the new name that is now Rakuten. And probably the new ambition, right? Well, exactly. One thing I love to talk about about Rakuten is the breadth of our stores. So we have nearly 4,000 stores and it is everything from Old Navy to Kohl's to JCPenney. So the original Ebates stores all the way to the other side to Neiman Marcus and Bergdorf Goodman. When you tackle something like this, you have to realize that the target can be different. The target is going to be different now that we have such a breadth of stores, right? And so that was one of the, one part of the evolution and the elevation um, and sophistication of saying, hey, it isn't just those stores where the, the target audience is of needing to save, of wanting to have coupons, of being proud of those discounts. Now we have a, a different kind of buyer as well. We have more luxury buyers as well. So it's not one or the other. So you have to find a way, of course, as always, when in a brand transformation, not to alienate your core, but to introduce and show new people, hey, Rakuten is also for you. And so that's a really interesting and difficult challenge. And again, an exciting one, but having to think to ourselves, hey, we need to do an overhaul of our visual identity. We need to define our brand voice and personality that is of Rakuten, not of what was Ebates. That's why I was able, I think, to recruit such talented people uh, to come take on this amazing idea. So you really created a new brand framework and you had to bring people along with you inside and outside the company, your core customers for, for Ebates. That's hard. Yeah. And so what was your learning in co-creating, I assume, the new voice, the new purpose, the new points of difference, the new, you know, go-to-market strategy. How did you do that? We'll bring in the entire company along and not losing your loyal fans, and mm -hmm. but expanding. Any advice to others who have a similar kind of challenge? I am going to say it starts at the top. And when I was interviewing for this job, your question was the number one thing I was looking for with the executives, uh, the our CEO Amit Patel and our COO Adrian and Kristen Gall, our president. Like that exact thing is, do you believe? Because I have worked in a company where the executives don't necessarily understand and believe in the power of brand and brand storytelling and what it requires to build that kind of brand in the U.S. And so the the only questions I was really asking is, are you a believer? Do you understand? Do you get it? Will you allow me and our team to go do what we do? Because we are good at it, but it's going to be hard. It's going to be upheaval. We're going to have to have some people who've been here a long time not be here anymore. And we're going to bring in some new people. And we're going to say new things. And we're going to do new things. And we're going to try new things. And some things are going to be amazing. And some things will fail. And you have to be cool with that. And that's the answer is it starts at the top. And our, um, our CEO, Amit Patel, he is a believer and it, you're, you're not wrong. Like it is a conversation, many, many conversations, and you have to find your way. You have to justify, you have to explain. And sometimes brand marketing is hard to explain. Why? Because it's hard to attribute, right? Will it work? Mm -hmm. I don't know. How will you measure it? Let me get back to you on that, right? So the advice I often give is 
when you are going to a new company and you are interviewing in a new company, make sure your manager, your leader, your boss, whatever it is, is a believer in what you do and what you're great at because you need that. Yeah. I just did a TikTok on what it takes to be a CMO and my first, or how to get to be a CMO. The mm-hmm. first point was go to a place that values marketing. Yeah. And then the second was go to a place that values people and their development yes. and their progression. Yes. And if you have those two in place, other things sort of fall in place. And I think it would be surprising to know how many leaders say they believe in marketing and say they believe in brand. It's about their actions. It's about the actions. We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. Now, it seems like two things that came out of this restage are the strong belief in leveraging partnerships. You have Mm -hmm. partnerships with Kate Hudson, Steph Curry, Gwyneth Paltrow, and on and on and on. So fabulous, fabulous partnerships. And you seem to forget the Golden State Warriors. Okay, got it. Well, Steph and the Warriors, I got it. I got it. So partnerships. And the second one, I think, is to have a brand presence at big tentpole events like the Super Bowl. So do I have that right in terms of two principles that came out of that? And if I do have it right, how did you arrive at those principles? And how do you choose yeah. who to work with and where to be? So I'll, I'll talk about partners first, which is, um, I would say you do those things for different reasons. So the Golden State Warriors, uh, 100% was about building credibility. Build, and so you take a franchise as storied and as winning as the Golden State Warriors and you partner with them and you're a company called Rakuten and no one has ever heard of you before. When you put your name on that jersey mm-hmm. and those players and that team um, wear their, your name above their heart, that means they believe in you. This company is credible. This company is legit, right? And, you know, with Rakuten, when it comes to giving cash back, that is something that some people wonder about. Is it too good to be true? Is it a scam? And so when you are the company that can put your name on the Golden State Warriors, it is clear you are a credible, legitimate company. And that was one of the main drivers behind the partnership with the Golden State Warriors. Not to mention the fact we're big basketball, you know, basketball fans and we love those Warriors very much. But it was really about credibility and putting our name somewhere where people go, oh, what is that company? You know, and one of the interesting things is because we are a large Japanese company, one of the um, awareness 
challenges is it's not that people have not seen our logo. People have seen the Rakuten name. They just don't know what it is. So one of the things we do, um, we try really hard to do is the awareness of, oh, Rakuten. Yeah, they're on the Golden State Warriors. Who are they? Oh, and let's educate. Let's tell you about it. What is your less than 10 second answer to people when they say, what is Rakuten? Easy. Rakuten is a shopping platform. We give cash back and rewards on every purchase. Pretty simple. Pretty simple. Pretty simple and pretty good for the customer, right? And the partners. Well, exactly. You know, our business model is a win-win-win. Win for our members, a win for us, and a win for our retail yeah. partners. Everybody's shopping. Everyone feels good about it. We're in Super Bowl season, so let's get to that. Mm. And and I, it probably is the same. You wanted to establish credibility, right? And where else to establish credibility for a marketing company and a brand company than in that in that situation? It is the biggest stage there is, yeah. as you say, um, and a leadership stage, right? So I would say it took us, you know, two years to start building that brand awareness and things like the Golden State Warriors, things like, you know, money in television media and other places to, and the redesign of our brand voice, the redesign of our visual identity to us to then say, okay, we are ready now and let us show you we are a leader and there is no bigger stage than the Super Bowl. So we, that was Rackinson's first Super Bowl spot. Last year, 2022, Last year, right? 2022, and all built in-house, which I'm very proud of, oh, because wow. unless you know, unless you know something I don't, I don't know very many brands that do a Super Bowl spot without an agency. So very proud of that. You may be the first. I think, I think so. And we're going to do it again. So, but yeah, I mean, it's the biggest leadership stage and it's where you say, we are here. We are the leader. Look at us. And you know yeah. what? It worked. You had Hannah Waddingham from Ted Lasso as your star last year. But I, I've seen that you feel the results you got last year were sort of off the charts. So I don't know how much you can share specifically, <clears> but that's a debate a lot of people have. Yeah. Is, does the Super Bowl work? Is it a performance marketing tool as well as a brand building tool, if you will? And I think it is both. So could you tell a bit what you learned last year about how it moved your business? You know, to your point, as we were saying, it is hard to attribute that kind of stuff, right? But here's what here's what I will tell you. Uh, number one, we moved our brand awareness index score by four points after the Super Bowl, right? So, the, the, I, mean, I mean, it's That's hard big. to move it yep. half a point, let alone four, right? So, I'm not going to say to you, Jim, it's all the Super Bowl. Of course not. It's all the things we've been doing together. But, you know, between the Super Bowl and now, our brand awareness has gone up four points. Very proud about that. We had a 10% lift in our buyers between, you know, February and July. That's a pretty big deal. Again, I can't say it's the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. I can just say it's all, you know, floats all the boats, right? And I can also say our retention rate, which is number of people who buy on Rakuten between 2021 and 2022, record high, 70%. Mm -hmm. So when you pull all those things together, and, you know, I would say all the things we do all year long contribute to that, but it's hard not to say the Super Bowl uh, did some heavy lifting for us, which is why we could justify to our CFO, we're going to do it again this year. Dana, this year you're doing something very different from Hannah Waddingham and the spot you did last year. Share with us today about the 2023 Super Bowl campaign for Rakuten. You are right. The, the Hannah spot last year, really extraordinary. I loved it, um, of course, uh, and very successful for us. But this year, um, I will say, I think it is going to uh, be um, even better and more relatable um, and instantly telegraphs what Rakuten does, which is shopping, right? You know, one of the things we've been talking about, especially during sort of a downturn in the economy, and is this harken back 
uh, to nostalgia. And we've seen this a couple times in moments of recession, right? You, you know, when Friends was a big deal, like, and right now, if you, you know, when you go to Netflix, the number one movies are movies from the 90s. It is 10 Things I Hate About You. It's Clueless. It's Mean Girls, right? I am now wearing bootcut jeans from the 90s, even though, you know, I, I like straight cut better, but here I am, right? And my son, my 12-year-old asked for a Polaroid for the holidays. Like, I didn't even know he knew what that was, right? Just people are hearkening yeah. back and that nostalgia. And I think that's something that's very important during times of uncertain economic moments. We are going to hearken back to the 90s with what I would say to you is the original shopping influencer. So well before Insta and well before TikTok, there was Cher from Clueless, starring Alicia Silverstone, the original shopping influencer. So she uh, will be starring uh, as her character Cher in our spot. And, you know, of course, Cher is an amazing shopper. And of course, in 2023, she would get cash back on everything she buys. So uh, we're really excited about it uh, and think it's really going to resonate. Well, I think you're going to be in the top 10 again, if I make a prediction. Mm, thank you. I'll take it. Yes. So Dana, tell us the process. You, ha- you, you use your in-house agency to do this work. How do you raise the bar? I mean, it's only your second year doing it, but doing a Super Bowl spot is... It is hard because the standards are all different. The expectations yeah. are different. It is a special media environment. So tell us how you embark upon this. Do you do a brief? Do you do you bring in ideas from outside or you keep it all inside? How do you get inspired for it? How do you say yes or no to the concept before you move it to the next stage? So, you know, pull the curtain back a bit and then show us how you kind of make make the food. Okay. Um, yes, of course, we do a brief. And, you know, we have some really genius strategists um, in our brand and creative team who understand consumer mindset, who understand what our members are feeling, who understand what's happening in the economy. And they were the ones who brought forward this concept. And, you know, they did, of course, some consumer research and some insights into what's happening right now. And this concept of uncertain times, you know, particularly, you know, here in the Bay Area, people getting laid off everywhere, a lot of turmoil, a lot of uncertainty about inflation and this concept of savings. So not just cash back, which is the feature, but the benefit, of course, is I am saving money. And why wouldn't you want that cash back? And so that concept of I'm saving money and it's particularly important in this moment, it was the core of our brief. And so then you, you know, you talk to the creatives about what's happening in the world and what's happening in culture. And of course, you know, when it comes to shopping, influencers is something that we spend a lot of time doing. And, you know, many of our campaigns over the last couple of years have included influencers, influencers you've heard of, like Gwyneth Paltrow and Kate Hudson and influencers you haven't heard of, right, who really do hard work on their Instagram and TikTok. And so this concept of the shopping influencer was really resonating, just seeing how important it is to our overall campaigns throughout the year. And, you know, someone, one of our genius creatives said, you know who that original influencer was? Cher Hurwitz from Clueless. Beautiful. So, yeah, you're, you know, we had a brief. They presented, oh, my gosh, I, I, I think they probably had 30 ideas. I myself saw 10 or 11 of them. Uh, and then we brought our favorite five to our CEO and our president and said, and you know what's funny about him? I, I of course, you know, we love all our babies, right? I'm like, I love this one for this reason. I love this one for this reason. I love that one. And he instantly was like, that's the one. And we we're like, 
okay, yeah. <laughs> you know, because it instantly- Those are fun meetings. Tell, oh, the best. Yeah. It's just one of those moments where you just know it's going to hit. And unlike our Hannah Waddingham spot, which of course I love, but, you know, set in a casino, yeah. this instantly telegraphs Rakuten is a place you shop. Hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. So what will yeah. success look like this year if, as we look out, you know, six months from now? So, um, you know, I would say we continue to work on our awareness. We, we actually call it informed awareness because, again, people mm -hmm. have seen our logo in a lot That's of good. places, yep. but we need them to know what Rakuten is and why they should shop on Rakuten. So informed awareness, we continue to watch. We have a big shopping week um, a few months later. It's called the Big Give Week. It's mm -hmm. eight days of our highest cashback rate across, you know, a thousand stores. One of the things we noticed last year, which is um, how many people signed up for Rakuten around the Super Bowl, but actually didn't make their first purchase until yeah. that big give week yeah. in May. Yeah. And that was kind of an extraordinary moment for us. So because, you know, let's let's be honest, mid-February is not a big shopping season. It's, you know, there's President's Day, there's Valentine's Day, but there's it's not a lot of shopping. You've just had Christmas and Hanukkah and other holidays. So it's not a big shopping moment, but let me tell you what is May. We have a huge week in May. Um, it's graduation. It's Father's Day. It's about to be summer. You need your summer camp stuff, your summer vacation. So Mother's we Day. saw Mother's Day. Exactly. We saw so many people who had signed up at the Super Bowl come shop. And that was a Very big moment of success for us that I hope to replicate. But now we know it. Right. So I think we will have better learning going in of the kinds of things we need to do leading up between, you know, February 13th and May 8th. So we're much smarter this year. Dana, I want to talk about culture for a moment. And I know these three words are really important for you. Collaboration, camaraderie, and fun. Yes. Those are the kinds of characteristics you would love to see in your culture. So, and I love that, but I'd like you to talk a bit more about that. And how do you go about activating those concepts of collaboration, camaraderie, and fun? So this was certainly the career challenge of my life to create those three words, manufacture those three words in an environment where no one's together. Because, you know, when when I think of myself as a people leader, which, by the way, I think of myself as a people leader before a marketing leader, mm -hmm. um, what, when I know I'm great to inspire and motivate teams, it's in person. So thinking about how do I transfer and translate those skills into this box and make people want to join and make people feel motivated and inspired and excited when I can't be in their face and, ah, right? And that was hard. Um, and I had to come up with new tricks, is to be completely honest. And we brainstormed, you know, with some of um, our leaders, how can we continue to help people connect and help people want to be part of something bigger than this one box and the one thing they're doing, I'm a copywriter, I'm an art director, I'm an editor, et cetera, be part of a team when we can't actually see each other. So we did, um, certainly during COVID, we did four or five things um, pretty often to it, at least, I think, helped connect. So one of them is I did a coffee with Dana every single Tuesday morning at 830 uh, we invited anyone from the company, but particularly marketing people, uh, to come have coffee with me virtually in the same way that you go to your office and you're standing in the Starbucks line and you're just mm -hmm. talking the talk with whoever's next to you for 10 minutes before you go about your day. And we played 
short little icebreaker games, um, you know, that you play with your 10 year old at home. It's, you know, what was your rose of the day? What was your thorn? What are you excited about? And everyone has to do a professional one, a work one and a personal one. And I would always go first to be, okay, here I am. I'm a vulnerable leader. I'm going to tell you about my bad day. Right. And I'm going to tell you about I was mad at my husband or I had I got an email from my boss I was bummed out about or, oh, my God, I'm so excited, blah, blah, blah. Right. And it created um, something really special. People would cry. People would laugh. People would tell us about their weekend. People would say, I got this email from a woman that reports to me. I don't know what to do. And just just that kind of bonding that you just can't do when you're not together. So that was great. And I'm doing it live now now that we're in the office. I still do it. I love it. Um, and it's people from all over the entire Rakuten America's company, which is nearly 3,000 people. Mm-hmm. And it's a really great way for you to get to know people from other divisions. Great. Great ritual. Now in person, of course, we are back to, you know, we're going to go do a cooking class together. We're going to have a happy hour every other Thursday, you know, back to that, that stuff that feels very important. And I will say, I feel very proud of not only the team culture at in marketing, but the team culture at Rakuten. It's, it feels really special to me. And I think it's because we went out of our way as a company to maintain that, even though we were not together for 18 months. Now you decided pretty quickly you needed to have an in-house agency of great talent. I had another guest on the show just a few weeks ago who talked about bringing an in-house agency together to make the entire marketing group more creative. So could you talk a bit about the formation or the amplification of this in-house agency concept in helping you with your larger cultural goals at Rakuten of collaboration, results, fun, camaraderie? By the way, I want to say I am a lover and believer of agency partners. So I don't want to suggest that the only way to go is an in-house team and that agencies aren't amazing because they are amazing and they can be amazing. And my belief is that there's just moments in a brand's life cycle when you do need outside thinkers and you do want to call Herrera, Odell, Goodby, Silverstein, Wyden and Kennedy, whoever. I felt here that um, under the formation where there was Ebates to Rakuten and then Japanese Rakuten to U.S. Rakuten. We needed thinkers inside and we needed people in terms of the flexibility and the inspiration needed to be in our own house. And I felt very strongly about that. And by the way, not everyone agreed at first because when it comes to sort of big brands, you think to yourself, oh, we have a big agency to help us. And there are moments for that. But I, I felt like it was important. And by the way, particularly because no one was together for 18 months, having yet an, another outside team trying to interact with us and try having ideas and pitches and whatever, just more complicated than need to be. And we were starting from scratch. And so we just felt like if we could find the best copywriters, the best storytellers, the best strategists, the best art directors, the best designers, why wouldn't we do that ourselves. And I'm very proud of that. And it's extraordinary in my mind that we've been able to do so um, and to reimagine and recreate this brand. And we have real believers in this building. They spend every day, every minute thinking about the future of this brand. So there's some old thinking that, you know, creative people like to work on a lot of different things. They get bored easily. They they don't want to work Mm -hmm. in a corporate structure. 
you've obviously blown those myths up and it's working. <laughs> so what, what have you done to be sure that they feel like they're growing, they're working on different things, yeah. they're part of a creative culture, they're, they're advancing, they're developing themselves? An amazing question because something I stay up at night thinking about, keeping them motivated, keeping them inspired. And the, the way you have to do that is to give them the opportunity to work on new, different, exciting things all the time. And so, you know, one of the things about our brand strategy team is they were always coming up with new things to try. So we call it at Rakuten, we call it big swings. So to answer your question is as long as we can continue to give big swings and try new things and mess up sometimes and do, do hard, gnarly things that we've not tried before, as long as you can continue to allow them to do that, I think they'll stay. But I worry about it. Honestly, we tr just try to give them new things and they get excited and motivated and they love it. It's a good strategy, really. I do think about it a lot. And it's good for the larger culture, right? Everyone should be doing that. Yeah. So your career path is an interesting one. 15 years at EA. And I think that was soon after you graduated from Duke, right? So you were pretty Correct. young when you went there. So I assume that's the most defining time in your career to date as you developed who you are as a leader. So could you talk a bit about how that time at EA shaped you as a leader? Two things I'd say strike me about that, those moments. Number one, I had some incredible mentors, some incredible people to look up to, to watch, to observe, to emulate um, as a people leader. And, you know, uh, one thing that has lived with me my whole career, I had a, my, my very first manager, mentor, leader who I was with for nearly 13 years. Her name is Carolyn Feinstein. She had an all hands meeting. I gosh, I must have been 23 years old. And she was talking about leadership. And she said this phrase that has stuck with me forever, which I try to live by as a leader myself, which is, um, you don't work for me. I work for you. And what she meant by that is my only job in this building is to support you, to empower you, and to unblock for you. And I have taken those words very seriously my whole career as a manager, a mentor, a leader, whether I have you know three people on my team or 130 people on my team, that concept of how can I help you? How can I support you? What can I get out of your way? And, you know, I've heard other um, CMOs and other leaders, even on your podcast, call this um, service leadership. And I, I had not heard that term before, but it is exactly that. And that has really been a defining piece of my career journey and who I am as a leader. The second part of my journey at EA, because I, I have had many people ask me, why did you stay so long? 15 years. I mean, and, and by the way, you know, I think there was... Um, value and, and, you know, more of a placement on loyalty and tenure back in the day, mm -hmm. right? So 15 years at a company then was something to be proud of. And I, I'll tell you now, I've had many people be like, almost disdainfully be like, why did you stay so long? You know, just questioning, was I, you know, lazy or complacent? And here's the answer to that, which is when you work in video games, um, every three to four years, the business model fundamentally changes. So as I was saying earlier, when I first got there in 2001, we sold a box, a package with a manual inside with a disc and you had to go to a store to buy it. Yeah. 
and and the way not only the way you buy that but the way you market totally specific as i said print and television okay fast forward console the video game console changes now all of a sudden you can download your game it takes 12 hours but now you can market a little bit differently and now the way you buy that product a little bit different and the people who buy it a little bit different fast forward another 5 years now, not only can you press a button, now you can just get a subscription. You never have to go to a store again. So one of the reasons I stayed there so long is I constantly had to learn something new. It was, it was almost like going to a different company every five years. And I really value my own education, the kinds of things I had to learn, the kinds of different people I had to hire in order to accommodate this different business model every few years was kind of hard and stunning and fascinating. And I did many ways feel like I was at a couple different companies because the business model, the kinds of games we made, and therefore the kinds of consumers we were targeting were completely different. You're going from a sports game that's, you know, 18 to 30 or four year old male, right? To an online gem game for women on your phone. So really dramatically different. And so I'd say that is sort of fundamental to who I have become is just constant change, constant ad adaptation of skills, of team, of who you need to be in order to be successful. I'd say that's another defining part of EA for me. That's also a good lesson for our listeners. You know, if you're at a place where you are developing and the category is developing, you're building new skills, you're in the cutting edge of culture, which you were at EA, yeah. you know, maybe you don't have to leave. Maybe you don't have to jump right. around. Because mm -hmm. I, th I think because that's what people feel they need yeah, to exactly. do today, yeah. and I I get that. I just think there's also opportunity mm -hmm. if you look for new career, a new adventure, new things to do, new things to learn inside your own yeah, company. Absolutely. I want to switch to the creative brief, and my first question is: What are you most looking forward to in 2023? Uh, right now, our we're Super Bowl every second. Right yeah. now. Uh, we are very excited. To your point about what did I learn, we learned so much last year that I think we're just even better now. So I, I, I'd say right this very second, I'm very excited to debut that to the world. And um, the, the pride that comes with a Super Bowl campaign inside your own company is something I don't even know how to put words to. Like, you know, I people ask me, like, what are you most proud of? And yes, I love the creative. And yes, I love what it feels like. And it feels so good to be watching and having your brand up there among those other massive brands. But the giddiness and excitement of the team, the engineers, the, you know, like the member services people, just they feel so proud. And that is an amazing moment. So I'm very excited about that. Does your management in Japanese understand what's going on here? Are they supportive? Oh, yes. Mikitani-san, you know, Mikitani-san is very supportive of the Super Bowl. You know, to your point, though, I do have to present the ideas to him uh, and to, you know, his leadership staff. And, you know, the um, the U.S. business does very well for Japan. So, you know, we're, we're a little bit of a darling, I would say. So, yeah, but I do have to go there and present. And, you know, what's what's interesting is when I present here in the U.S., obviously the entire, you know, U.S. was like, Ted Lasso, Ted Lasso, Ted Lasso. They know 
what, who Hannah Waddingham was. I didn't have to explain that. And, you know, same thing here. No one's going to have, I'm not going to have to explain the cultural significance of clueless. But in Asia and Japan, both of those things don't resonate in the same way. So I do have to do a little bit of explanation of let me explain to you what clueless means and who these characters are and why this is important. And they love and that's it. That's a fun presentation to put together. So fun. So, I mean, you're like nervous and excited. Yeah. I love it. So yeah. what's the biggest challenge in your mind for CMOs in 2023? You know, I still think it is this age old brand performance question. I don't think that is going away. I continue to hear about it. I mean, even your own guests, I mean, sure. almost every one of them talks about yeah, this right. as a, as a thing that we tackle. And, um, you know, and there is sure healthy, I don't want to call it conflict tension between teams to inspire and motivate and storytell and deliver results. And I think those things need to be in sync. But there are moments where there's debate and discussion of how much money you're going to put in this thing, how much money you're going to put on that thing, how much we're going to invest and be able to attribute on this thing, you know, and so things like, you know, the Golden State Warriors and even the Super Bowl, like we have to really work through how are we going to measure? What are we going to learn out of this? Because there's really nothing worse than trying something new and going, how to perform? I'm not sure. We didn't track it right. Yeah. Can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, to answer your question, it's not just for CMOs, for all of us. I cannot tell you how surprised I have been by how hard it is to get people back into an office. I hear that everywhere. I am continue to be stunned by that. Um, and, you know, I think we're doing a pretty good job, but it is it is much harder than any of us thought getting people energized yeah. back to the camaraderie, collaboration and fun and just remembering how great it is to be in an office environment. I, that, that's the trick. And I think it makes us, I think this is a positive, it makes us as leaders be more intentional about why it's important to be yeah. together. I think we just assumed it before. Oh, and now 100%. we have to make that explicit. And I think that actually is, that will make our time together, I think, even more productive and enjoyable. What's the first brand you remember making an impact on you as a young girl? Um, Nike. The two things I would say with Nike. One is that that amazing campaign, If You Let Me Play, uh, which was something I had never seen before. And, you know, I, I played sports growing up and I was really inspired by that concept. And, you know, Nike from well before then, you know, back to those iconic print ads that they had, I would rip them out, put them on my wall. And, you know, that was the first time I realized the power of long form copywriting and storytelling through genius copywriting. And that is something I, to this day, think about is inspiring with words. And Nike, I think, still now does it nearly better than anyone. I really admire the way Nike stands for something and puts their brand behind what they believe in, even when it causes controversy, uh, you know, with the, you know, the Colin Kaepernick campaign. And just, I think that line was, um, believe in something, even if it's sacrificing everything, you know, it's like really powerful stuff that I do think brands needed to do that. So Nike, I think has forever been yeah. with me. Favorite Super Bowl spot of all time as we are in the Super Bowl season. Oh, uh, the Volkswagen Star Wars spot. Mm. Amazing. Um, hard not to say Clydesdale's Budweiser. Yeah. Um, spectacular. But that Volkswagen, that insight 
with that Volkswagen spot was so genius. That's a good one. That's a good choice. So who has been the most influential mentor in your career? Is it Carolyn? Yes. She really shaped, showed me versus telling me, right? Showed me what it means to be a great leader, how to motivate and inspire teams and um, particularly creative teams. That is a, a special sauce um, to be able, when you're not a creative yourself, like I cannot take a pen and write something genius and I am not an art director, but to be able to recognize talent and recognize special and motivate and inspire. Um, I watched her and she was really spectacular um, at that. And she was an advocate for me. She um, gave me a lot of feedback and which I am a person, I give a lot of feedback. Um, and I, yeah, I'd say for sure, certainly in my career, she is someone that really helped shape me. How do you stay current and fresh and creative in our industry? What sorts of rituals do you have? What do you listen to? What do you watch? What do you read? Well, luckily for me, I have a young generation of uh, Gen Zers and millennials that work right behind me. And uh, I listen to them. <laughs> I am not an early adopter when it comes to fashion, for example. And, you know, one day, you know, here I am wearing my skinny jeans because that's what you do. And then over six weeks, all the millennials are wearing bootcut jeans. And I think, ugh, what? What is it, 1994? And yet here I am wearing bootcut <laughs> jeans talking to you, right? I pay very close attention to what's happening with that generation um, so that I feel relevant and I feel like I know what's happening in the world. And by the way, this also helps us with our marketing, with our members. And because the people we are trying to reach are that exact millennial woman. Dana, who has been the most inspiring person in your life for you? So um, I am very lucky that um, I married a man named Phil Marino and his dad also named Phil Marino, which can get confusing, um, was the president and COO at Quaker Oats and of Gatorade. And I would say he, along with his friends, uh, Michael Jordan and his friends at the NBA, I think I would say the original sports marketing geniuses. So I will tell you, having that guy as your father-in-law is pretty remarkable and his stories, his marketing stories, his stories of trying to grow a brand no one had heard of called Gatorade um, into what it is today are pretty amazing. And yes, it is a different generation, but the baseline of what makes great marketing, knowing and listening to your consumer is exactly the same. And I love just hearing his old stories and, you know, how they came to grow that brand, um, which was so remarkable in so many ways. And, you know, he, if, and he and I like to talk sort of old and new and what we're doing today, that's exactly the same. And what we're doing, that's totally different that he wants to learn. So I've, I will say I'm very fortunate to have him in my family. How will he like your Super Bowl spot of this year? <laughs> well, he is uh, a tough critic. I'll tell you that. I haven't shown it to him yet. Um, cause he'll, he'll ask all the questions, you know, who's the target. Like, it's almost like he'll, he'll say like, what's the brief before I show it to him. You know? He sounds and very so, PNG. 
<laughs> Quaker. Yeah, I know. Same. Yeah, very, right? Yeah, right. You know, I it mean, is. he worked on, you know, oatmeal and granola bars and yeah. cereal and you know, it's the same, right? So, yeah, he's a, he's a pretty tough critic um, and he'll ask all the sort of tough questions. What's the call to action? Like, who exactly, what exactly you want them to do at the end of the, you know, so he, he's a tough critic, but he liked it last year. That was good. I was nervous. I was more nervous to show him than my own boss. <laughs> I love that. Dana, <laughs> thank you for this conversation. Give my best to Mickey Tani-san. I will. Yes. I appreciate your inviting me. Happy New Year. And yes, I will tell Mickey Tani-san to say hi. That was my conversation with Dana Marino. Three takeaways from this one for your business brand and life. The first one, I love this thought, be more of a people leader, not just a marketing leader. I loved how Dana talked about her efforts to build a culture to, to bring in creative people and keep them stimulated and, and engaged and learning. I loved her rituals, especially during COVID, to keep close to her people, to build a special culture of camaraderie, collaboration, and fun. Second takeaway, everything we do in marketing should be meaningful and measurable. And the third takeaway, when Dana was thinking about joining Rakuten, the first question she asked the senior leadership was, were they believers? Were the leaders in the company believers in building a brand and the importance of building a brand? When she went to Rakuten, she knew she had the confidence and the trust and the belief that if they built a great brand through the restaging of Rakuten, they would all go on to do something meaningful in their lives. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.